Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. On January 20th, 2012, as Barack Obama took the oath for a second term as president, the New York Times published a noteworthy article suggesting that according to a new study, black Americans are about twice as likely as whites to end up in Chapter 13 repayment plans. This disparity persisted even when the researchers controlled for income, home ownership, assets, and education, suggesting that some attorneys, especially in the South, were steering African Americans into chapter choices that were not necessarily the best for the debtor. The findings were provocative. The study's findings were further illuminated in the ABI Law Review that spring, and the examination has continued, with updated findings through 2015 and a fresh presentation made at the recent annual meeting of the National Conference of Bankruptcy Judges. With us today to discuss what may be a matter of implicit or explicit bias in the bankruptcy system is one of the study's authors. Bob Lawless is one of the nation's leading scholars. A prolific author on bankruptcy, he's the Max L. Rowe Professor of Law and co-director of the Program on Law, Behavior, and Social Science at the University of Illinois College of Law. He's a contributor to the Bankruptcy Consumer Bankruptcy Project, a long-term research project studying persons who file for bankruptcy. Professor Lawless is a member of the American Law Institute, the National Bankruptcy Conference, and the American College of Bankruptcy. He has testified before Congress, and his work has been featured in media outlets such as CNN, CNBC, NPR, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and others. His regular posts at the Credit Slips blog in particular are must-read, and we're delighted to visit with him today. So welcome, Bob, to ABI Podcasts. Well, thank you, Sam. It's a great uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking uh, me to do this. So let's start with um, some of the material that you uh, and your colleagues uh, presented at the NCBJ annual meeting in San Francisco recently. Uh, I was struck in particular by uh, one of your first slides, which is a map of Chapter 13 filing rates. And you look at this map uh, district by district, uh, it's a little bit jolting even when you acknowledge the understanding that Chapter 13 was born in the South, in particular in Alabama, and is part of so much of the legal culture uh, in the South. So what did that, what does that map, or beyond the map, what does the data suggest to you? Well, I think, as you just said, right, lawyers kind of intuitively know that there's a big disparity in Chapter 13 rates around the country. But uh, when you look at the data, it is really striking what the differences are. It, it's as low as 10% or even a little bit less in some of the districts in the Plain States, and as much as 80% um, in some districts in the South. Uh, and scholars had known this for years. Uh, the Brookings Institute study from um, the 1970s uh, documented this. People have talked about it for years. This has been a well-known phenomenon. Um, but uh, I, you know, I think the reasons for it are still being explored. I think our research uh, doesn't really ex- uh, explain even the full reasons for this, um, but it may be a contributing factor. That race may be a contributing factor. Right. right. Okay. And so how does that play out? Are these um, uh, people uh, counseled by, by lawyers to, to choose uh, Chapter 13 over Chapter 7? And, and why might 
someone do that? There obviously there are some advantages to Chapter Thirteen over Chapter Seven. Sure, a- absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, to answer your, your first question, uh, is this uh, the result of attorneys counseling uh, people into Chapter Thirteen uh, to African Americans specifically into Chapter Thirteen? I, uh, our data uh, alone can't prove that one way or another. You know, we can observe what's happening in the world, but what's happening in the uh, well, I should say we can observe what's happening in the bankruptcy court, what's happening in the lawyer's office. We're not directly observing that. Uh, it, as you mentioned, there's a huge disparity. African Americans are about twice as likely to file Chapter 13 uh, and compared to a similarly situated uh, person of another race. Uh, and that's actually across all other uh, racial identifiers. You know, in our research, we ask people with which racial groups do you identify, and uh, someone who checks the box African American is much more likely to be in a Chapter 13. Um, the effect holds up even after controlling for all sorts of factors, as you mentioned, uh, home ownership, income, assets. Uh, you know, we ask even questions: Are you able to borrow from family and friends, and you know, and control for? Uh, if, if if you will, even softer factors like that, and the uh, effect holds up. Uh, the second part of the, of the study uh, involved a uh, national random sample of consumer bankruptcy attorneys who, to whom we sent uh, an experimental vignette. Uh, is you know we sent them a fact pattern, right. uh, saying you know here's a uh, here's a couple that's come to your office. They want bankruptcy relief. Uh, the uh, fact patterns were identical. Um, except they, for uh, some very small differences. And so attorneys would only get one of uh, um, these fact patterns. They would either get uh, a African-American couple who wanted uh, to file Chapter 7, an African-American couple who wanted to file Chapter 13, um, a white couple that wanted to file uh, Chapter 7, or a white couple that wanted to file Chapter 13, and we used cues in the... Um, vignette that would uh, play to people's um, kind of assumptions about who would be sitting in front of them. For example, so explain that. Well, so we used some uh, well-known methodology where, you know, we used uh, the uh, the names differed. So the uh, debtors were either Reggie and Letitia or Todd and Allison, and we used Social Security name databases to um, get racial breakdowns, and we picked names that were um, much more likely to be African American or much more likely to be white based upon the age of the persons that were in the vignette. Um, I should also mention there were control conditions as well. So there were conditions where uh, there were no cues about the race. This, the person's initials were used or there were no stated preferences. Uh, when attorneys got a vignette where the uh, uh, they believed the debtor was uh, African American, they were more likely to recommend that person uh, file Chapter 13 uh, than a similar person who was white. Uh, also, the African Americans who said they wanted to file Chapter 13, if an attorney was presented with that scenario, uh, the attorney was more likely to say that the uh, African American was not a person of good values or was not um, competent as a white person who wanted to file Chapter 13, and the effects were reversed when you got to Chapter 7, right? A, a African-American who wanted to um, uh, f- uh, file Chapter uh, 7 um, uh, was viewed as a person of uh, lower values and less competence. Actually, I think I said that wrong on the Chapter 13 part, right? So, a, you know, an African-American that wanted to file Chapter 13 was viewed as a person of 
more competence and better right. values Higher than a similarly right. situated white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and right. just the opposite was true for a Chapter Seven. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so um, combined with the real world data, um, this suggested that uh, you know, although we can't you know prove it, it certainly seems that what might be happening here is happening in lawyers' offices. Um, and you know, implicit bias is a well-known phenomenon mm-hmm. that affects all of us. That you know we are all um, you know a victim of our circ- our circumstances and our upbringing in some way, right? And uh, and that's true for all of us, regardless of our race, um, creed, or color. Uh, and you know we see the world through stereotypes that we've developed. Uh, and um, you know it it could be that implicit bias is playing a role here. Um, it could be that um, uh, there are um, other dynamics going on. Um, it's you know really hard to say though, just from the data we have alone, what the causal mechanism uh, uh, is exactly. You know exactly what's happening in the lawyers' offices. You know, other thing I, I will say also is we were very shocked when we got these results. We were the, the um, survey results, the vignette results were. Um, um, so it had, it had a much stronger effect than we really expected to find. We'd observed this real-world phenomenon, uh, and we weren't real sure that what was happening was happening in the lawyers' offices, but we seemed like a logical place to start to look for it. You mentioned also um, in the in the literature and in the um, certainly the uh, the law review published uh, pieces some possible impact of um, fees and costs. I mean, Chapter Thirteen is more expensive. There's an ongoing um, a duty to monitor uh, the case and the plan uh, performance. And um, do you think that uh, lawyer uh, compensation uh, has anything to do with promotion of Chapter 13? I think that's probably the case. Um, there, first of all, there's some other research um, uh, Suggesting that where no look fees are higher, there's a higher propensity for people to um, be put into Chapter 13. You know, if there's a higher no look fee for the 13th, mm-hmm. the fine of, an, of any race, of any race, of any race, right. generally speaking, mm-hmm. right? And so this was an, uh, some economists that looked at this, and, right. and you know, and this is again after controlling for a bunch of right. a bunch of factors. Um, we have a, a, a recent paper uh, that's still a, in a work in progress. Um, where we're looking at um, cases where the uh, attorney fee is paid entirely through the plan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we call these no money down cases, right? Where the, there's no money down and all the fees are, are again, are being paid to the 13 plan. And there's a, a two big uh, drivers of that. And one is where you live and the other is what race you are. So if you are in a high chapter 13 district, you're much more likely to be in a no money down plan. And if you're African-American, you're much more likely to be in a no money down plan. And again, that's after controlling for all sorts of income and wealth effects. Um, You put those in the high uh, chapter 13 districts, African-Americans are much more likely than a person of another race to be in a no money down case such that uh, I think a lot of the effect we saw in the earlier study is being driven by these no money down cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be explained by that. Um, so, uh, you know, to the extent the bankruptcy world is, is concerned about our findings, I think thinking about how cases are um, um, monitored, how the fees um, are 
monitored might be a, a place to look at that. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So when you um, when you've presented uh, your findings either formally at conferences and and programs or informally to folks who are uh, have the responsibility of being Chapter Thirteen trustees, uh, particularly in the South. What 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 do they what do they say? What's their reaction? Are they as surprised? I think. Well, it's the research. I think is becoming fairly well known now, such that I you know I wouldn't say people are surprised anymore when I when I talk about it. Many mm-hmm. people now have heard about it before. Uh, I mean, I think overall, you know, the response has been um, positive in the sense that people, when they see a problem, want to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the consumer bankruptcy bar is actually, you know, it's a very strong bar. It's a very good bar. And uh, when I talk with, in uh, front of consumer bankruptcy groups, the usual reaction is, well, you know, what can we do to, to fix this? Or what can we do to to um, not be doing this in our offices? And uh, one of the things I think we can be doing is having, you know, the American Bankruptcy Institute being doing podcasts to get the <laughs> word out and have people being thoughtful and uh, people talking about this at conferences and, and bar association meetings and just being aware that uh, we all bring our biases and prejudices into every interaction we have every day. And that, you know, doesn't mean it's okay. It just means that, you know, we have to be careful and be thinking about um, whether these biases are affecting uh, what we're doing. Uh you know, one thing I sometimes suggest is uh, attorneys might think about checklists about what makes uh, a case more appropriate for a seven versus a thirteen. Uh, and even if you're resistant to the findings, uh, you know checklists aren't a bad idea, right? If you, mm-hmm. Even you know if you're even outside of racial effects, right? right. Think, sitting down and thinking, okay, you know just objectively what makes a case better for seven versus thirteen? That's just good law practice. Right. Uh, you know, the medical field has gone to checklists in a lot of cases to try to avoid uh, implicit biases that have been found in the administration of medical treatment. And it would seem that law, that would be a good practice for law to consider as well. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, interesting, certainly worth um, looking into. What do you think is the next phase of this research? Do you have more study planned? Um, what's next, do you think, Bob? I, you know, I guess I got asked recently, you know, so, you know, where is this heading or what's your end game? Right. There is no end game. There's yeah. no place where this is heading, right? It, um, uh, you know, I'm a, a professor at a university and, you know, I'm a believer in data and empirical research and uh, in figuring out how things really work in the world. And, um, you know, we're just going to continue to do that. Um, we're continuing to run the Consumer Bankruptcy Project. Uh, we've... Uh, reconceptualize that so now it's a more of an ongoing running uh, research project so we'll be able to look as the years go by whether this effect remains um, we'll be continuing to do that I mean I will say that I think the research has uh, just generally in the scholarly community um, kind of brought race into the conversation when people are doing empirical research about the bankruptcy system so there's people looking for uh, I guess race effects across different sort of dimensions in the um, consumer bankruptcy system. Um, you know, so, you know, in terms of where, you know, where this is going to go from here, I don't have, you know, we don't have an agenda. We don't have anything right. specific or we're going to say we're going to go out and, you know, do X, Y, and Z to get to some end game. That's not what this research is about. Understood. Well, raising awareness, uh, certainly, 
um, is uh, something uh, we all can do, and um, uh, we're happy to um, you know to contribute uh, to that uh, aspect of it. Uh, this is very thoughtful uh, work, um, you know, that we've been observing over uh, several years, and and I thought the um, you know the presentation in San Francisco recently was. Uh, certainly uh, uh, thought-provoking. And um, thanks very much, Bob, for sharing uh, the latest with us today. Oh, thank you again for asking uh, asking me to be part of the podcast. Uh, very well appreciated. Okay, you're welcome. So uh, that's our uh, show for today. Uh, reminding folks, there are nearly 200 podcasts uh, available for listening or downloading at ABI's website uh, in our newsroom section, newsroom slash podcast of abi.org. So until next time, uh, this is Sam Giordano from the American Bankruptcy Institute saying good day. 